Hi, you've tuned in to the Lovely Travels podcast where we talk about all things travel and adventure. My name is Emma Lovell, also known as Lovely, and I have a mission to visit every UN-recognised country in the world while raising awareness for mental health. Join me as we revisit some of my past adventures, speak to fellow travellers and interesting locals, all while following the journey to 195 countries. I'll be joined soon by my co-pilot, Darius, in Germany. And sometimes we're even going to hit the road together. Make sure to join in the adventure by following me on Instagram, Lovely Travels. You can also join our Facebook group, Lovely Travels Community, and learn more about us at the website, lovelytravels.com. But for now, it's listening time. Travel vicariously along with us. Welcome everyone to the Lovely Travels podcast. Uh, today we have a really fun episode, which uh, it's you know we turned it on its head a little bit. And Darius has taken the interviewing seat. And who was your guest today, Darius? I interviewed my um, very adventurous mother. She, Vilma. Um, <laughs> she is the Vilma. She is she is the OG traveller. Yeah. Um, and she um, tells us the the story. This is uh, part one of two um, of where her love for travel comes from and some of her adventures that she's had along the way. So this the, the first episode is approximately the first 20-odd years of her life traveling. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and um, it's, it's pretty amazing. I've heard the stories a few times, but, um, you know, I'm always learning new things about the um, person – AKA my mother, who is, amongst other things, a published author. So cool. Do we get some Um, insights into uh, you as well on this episode? A little bit. A little bit. Like I said, this is the first 20 years of her life. So there was still a few years before before I was in the picture. Um, But we, we learned the history of my name. Oh. Which is a bit of a clue, and um, I guess some of her motivations of traveling and and what it was like traveling, you know, forty odd years ago as a as a young woman. So different, so cool. Like in a way, I wish I could travel that way. It just mm. it's a little bit more. And Kirsten talked about it on her episode, like using the beginner mind when you travel. Yeah. And I think that was more possible um, without f- phones, and and there was more possibility for adventure and uh, you know the unknown. <laughs> it was it was a lot more unknown because you know communication took you know weeks, and phone calls overseas were expensive as hell, and um, you just didn't know what, what you were getting yourself into. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, like Mum says in the episode, like there's there's so many wonderful people wherever you go in the world, and you know most people are nice as well. So um, you know if you keep that in mind and keep an open mind, um, usually you'll be fine. Yes, I love it. Well, without further ado, let's uh, crack on with this beautiful episode of the mother and son. <laughs> let's do it. Hello and welcome, everyone, and um, a very special welcome to today's guest, my mum. Hey, Darius. How you doing? I'm um, fine. Yeah, a little bit early in the morning, but I'm doing fine. That's good. I was looking um, forward to our conversation. Me too. Um, and uh, thank you for being on the show so early in the morning. I know if anyone asked me to be on anything this early in the morning, I would have said no. So, um you, you, you're doing better than I would. Um, <laughs> I think we can skip the question about how we know each other. That is probably obvious. Um, but why don't you give a quick introduction about who you are? Okay. Um, my name is Wilma and I'm born in Germany, to be precise, in Neuss, where Darius lives at the moment. Go Neuss. Uh, go, go, go. <laughs> And now I'm living in Australia. I have been living in Australia for 27 years, 26 wow. years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I live at Lake Macquarie, beautiful place in Australia's East Coast. 
Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. It's very nice. Yeah, just did, magic. Did, did you have you sorted out all the all the ducks shooting in the pool? Oh yeah, we got a duck fence now. You know, one of those. <laughs> a duck fence, but they can fly. Yeah. I haven't figured that out. They look at it and go, "Man, we can't climb the duck fence." <laughs> so no more ducks. It's amazing. It's one of those uh, yellow, fluffy fences made out of plastic, and they move in the wind, and that keeps the ducks away. Oh, yeah, stupid ducks. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, enough about the ducks. Um, I guess you know it's a it's a travel podcast. Um, how did you end up in Australia? Well, when your father and I decided to separate, I looked at the world map and I thought, "Wow, I haven't been to Australia." And it wasn't New how far away can I get from him? No, it just uh, <laughs> happened that it was pretty far away. <laughs> now I thought you would you were four and a half years old, and I thought I need a safe place to travel with a little kid. Yep. And I joined an organization called Zervas, which was found after the Second World War in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And it's a peace organization. The idea was if people can travel and meet other people in the world, they will not allow wars to happen because they know someone in a place where there's a war. Yeah. And I really oh, wow. loved the idea. I had to go to an interview to see whether I'm fair dinkum or just <laughs> want to <laughs> want to travel for cheap because the idea is that you are a host. Mm-hmm. You open your house or you open only your heart if you can't accommodate someone. Mm-hmm. And and get to know each other. So at the time, there was no internet. So I, I got a book, New Zealand and Australia. Yep. And I contacted families with little kids. And I said, hey, I'm coming over from Germany. And the idea is they offer you to stay for three days or for three nights. Yeah. And if they like you, they say, why don't you stay on? Or after oh. three days, you pack everything and go. So, oh, wow. what was the name of yeah. the organization? Zervas. Zervas. From, it's from Latin and it means to serve. Huh. So, if, if you don't have accommodation, you can also say, hey, I show you around for a day or let's go bushwalking together. But people get to know each other. And this was a fantastic concept. So, when we arrived in Australia, you were four and a half, and um, you were traveling on public transport, buses. And I also financed those three months with writing a travel report to a German magazine. Oh, really? Traveling, a, a woman traveling with a kid. So huh. you could get quite a lot of money for the photographs. And I did a little report, and yeah, so financed our first. Travel to Australia. Wow, I didn't know you were a published author. <laughs> hey, there might be a lot of things you don't know about me. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we've been like, this has been like two <laughs> minutes into the show. I'm already learning stuff. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, it was, it was, I don't know whether it's still going, but it's a bit like today's couch surfing. Sure. It's you like know, Airbnb but- without, without the app and without the money. That's right. Yeah, you actually had to write to people or get on the phone to them. And being on the phone was quite expensive. So so I wrote to people, they wrote back. Yeah, it was a good, it's a very good system. Huh. And I can vouch for it, it works because I traveled a lot. And when I hear that there's a war somewhere in places I've been, especially of where I've been and I know people, I'm, you know, it, it touches me much more as if I see something on TV and somewhere I've never been and, you know, yeah, yeah. good organization. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm, 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 we'll, we'll make sure to link to them in the, um, in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds great. And um, the, um, so I know um, from, hearing all your wonderful stories that you started traveling a lot earlier than that. 
Um, <laughs> do, you, do you want to maybe maybe take us all the way back um, to, to where your love of travel started? Yeah, my love of travel started with in the with the young age of under six. Let's call it this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time one of my parents' friends came over to visit, and they said. Hey, one day you come and sleep over. Whoosh! I went to my room and got my little red cardboard suitcase, <laughs> fully equipped with my pajama and my teddy bear. And I said, okay, let's go. My mother was quite disappointed because she said, why, you not, why, why do you want to leave? Why, do you, why don't you want to stay here? But I really enjoyed meeting other people and seeing where they live and if they had animals at home because we didn't have any dogs or cats. So that was even more exciting. And sometimes I even would ring up the next day and ask for extension. Yeah. So, so this was my, my first travel inspired adventures. Sure. And um, okay. And then, and then what happened? What happened? Um, So my parents got married straight after the Second World War. They didn't have much money. But nevertheless, the whole family went on holidays for one week to the north of the Netherlands. What, once a year? No, no, no. This was the only holiday we ever had together. It was only one holiday. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And it was amazing. My father had a little car. We all got squeezed in to the max and drove all the way to the Netherlands. And it was so exciting because people were speaking another language. They were eating different food. There was the ocean. Mm. Ah, it was just magic. I still remember it. How old yeah, were you then? So, oh, five. five. Oh, wow. Five yeah. years old. <laughs> you know, when the first time you see the ocean... It was just magic. So, yeah. yeah, so that was the first time. And um, my parents were not used to traveling at all, even going to Dusseldorf, which is just basically over the River Rhine. Yeah, like takes 10, around 15 50. kilometers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would pack sandwiches and <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it was a big, big preparation. Then my father started to work in Dusseldorf and on Friday night he would come home and says, I'm glad I don't have to touch this car anymore until it's Monday. Oh, no. So we never, we never went anywhere. So my parents' idea of traveling was going around the block and I hated right. it. And I right. still hate it when someone says, let's walk around the block. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, 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 it's our like main hobby at, during corona at the moment it's like oh what should we do this weekend you want to go for a walk (laughs) but this yeah but this was my my life basically yeah and so my travel experiences were limited then i got a bicycle and i was only around to to cycle around the block Mm -hmm. but i didn't really listen and and i was much further than the block uh, of course, my parents didn't know about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I was sitting on the windowsill, my favorite spot, and I looked out to the country road, and I thought there must be more than that. Mm. There must be more than cows than a country road. While I was listening to Charles Aznavour and learning how to, learning how to listen to other languages than German. Mm-hmm. So there was French, there was Italian music, there was English music, the Beatles came up and yeah. So I wanted to be equipped to travel. I wanted to learn other languages. Yeah. That's yeah. Not so easy with parents who who didn't like traveling. Right. Right. Yeah. And do you think it was just because they, they didn't know it or like because of the war, it was associated with danger, or why do you think they didn't they didn't like it? Or just not no well, possibility I, to, to do it. Yeah. I think mainly because they didn't have the money to start yeah. with. Yeah. I mean, you know, building everything up from scratch when you're young, having kids, 
my father's father lived with with my parents as well. Mm. And so they couldn't speak other languages and that stopped them massively as well. So mm. I knew that the key to travel is to make an attempt to learn other languages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Mm. And um, I, I mean, we, we've, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to tease the stories out of you because I know a lot of pretty exciting stuff happened from, you know, when, when, when was the first time you actually did travel properly by yourself? Ooh. <laughs> okay. My parents were very strict. Yeah. Every night I had to be home late at seven o'clock. If it was one minute over, I was grounded for a week. Well. Wow pretty tough but then I left school when I was 15 and um, went to interviews with companies but also I went for an interview with an international freight forwarding company mm -hmm. and I came into into the room where my future boss was sitting behind a desk and behind him was the world map and he was talking to New York. <laughs> and that got me straight away. I thought, yeah, that's me. At yeah. least I want to talk to New York. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's how they got me as an apprentice. And yeah. um, also <clears throat> a bit later, um, I, I was still 15. Yeah. Um, I, I met a I met a boy and he was working with with a with a bank and got a car uh -huh. and he could also take this car home. And then one day he said, what about on this next public holiday? Let's go to Luxembourg and have breakfast in Luxembourg. And I said, <laughs> oh, I will never be able to come with me. So we decided um, that I lie. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I said to my parents, look, I'm going to see a friend and it's her birthday and I help her to bake a cake and I'm probably up and gone before you wake up. And they said, yeah, yeah, whatever. You are home at seven o'clock tonight. Okay. So, so we met at seven, we met at five o'clock in the morning. We drove all the way to Luxembourg, which was not longer than, than an hour and a half. We had breakfast and then we said, what now? Uh, I have to be home at seven. And she said, look, if we just continue traveling, we can go to Paris. And it was just like, oh, my God, Paris, are you real? Are you for real? We go to Paris. Yeah. I looked into my purse. I had probably 10 bucks on me. But never mind. We just go to Paris and go back. So we drove into the city. We saw the Eiffel Tower. I was so nervous and excited. I bought some postcards and I thought, okay, this will be a good memory. So that reduced my, my pocket money to five bucks. Yeah. And um, yeah, had a look at the Eiffel Tower, went all the way up, beautiful view over the city. And then we had to go back down and said, okay, let's not rush. Let's just go back to the car and drive back home. Sure. So, so he tried to start the car, didn't work. <sighs> Shit, what now? <laughs> <laughs> but we watched a lot of TV and I saw that you can ring the embassy or a consulate and they yeah. will help you. Right. So that's what we did. We found a public phone and a German consulate. It was a German holiday, so they were only there for two hours for emergencies. <laughs> and this was between four and six o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> I had to go, yeah. I had to be home at seven, remember? Right. Anyway, we thought, wow, the consulate will help. So we we got on public transport, we made it to the consulate. And there was also, there were three people from Bremen and she had lost her passport. So it was two guys and, and a woman. Yeah. And she had lost her passport. So she needed a passport for the day to cross the border, which now is EU. There are no borders anymore. Uh, of course. You would have had to like cross an actual border with, with 
checking of passports and stuff like that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And also, you know, there was also different currencies all over Europe. Yeah, Yeah, so so we went um, to see the person who was in charge for troublemakers. (laughs) 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 And I said, hey, I know, I've, I've seen it on TV, you help people who are in trouble in a different country and our car is not working. And he said, so what do you want us to do about it? <laughs> but I, I'm, look, I'm afraid that the, the minister for broken cars is currently on holiday. <laughs> exactly. But they said, what you get from us is a free phone call. Yeah. I thought, okay. So there was this phone in front of me. I picked up the handle and the guy says, no, 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 no. Give me the number. So he took the phone, dialed the number. My father answered the phone. I could hear him. And the guy said, German consulate in Paris, just a moment, I connect you with your daughter. <laughs> my, my father answered and said, if you want to stay longer at a party, you have to come up with a better excuse and hang up. <laughs> <laughs> that was my only phone call. <clears throat> well, that didn't go down too well. Mm-hmm. So I was really lucky because those three, those other three people who needed help from the consulate, they lived in Bremen. Yeah. And they saw me devastated. And how do I get back? Because my friend had to stay with the car and fix that problem. He couldn't sure. just leave the car there and go sure. on the train or whatever. Anyway, they were so kind and took me home to my parents in Neuss and then continued traveling to Bremen. Yeah. So it was a bit of a detour, but they were really, really nice. So I arrived in Paris around two o'clock in the morning. In in Neuss. In Neuss, in Neuss, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I arrived in Neuss at two o'clock in the morning. My father was standing behind the door when I opened it, and he looked at me very angry and says, "We talk tomorrow." Oh no. I was still full of happiness that I was in Paris. I mean, I was so big, you have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I can imagine. Yeah. So anyway, I went to sleep for a few hours. When I came down to the kitchen in the morning, my mother didn't even talk to me. And my younger brother said, were you really in Paris? And I said, yeah, look at my postcards. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, coming back from my job on Monday, evening my father summoned me and he said so now tell me what did you do yesterday and I said we went to Paris and the car broke down and he just said no I asked you what did you do yesterday oh no he didn't believe me yeah um anyway also my friend had to come to my parents house and he also confirmed that we went to France to Paris they didn't believe it (laughs) <laughs> and, and I was grounded for another three months. Mm, and actually, it. those it. it was it was worth it, but it backfired in a way to my parents because that made my wish to see the world even much bigger. Mm. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so I survived. Um, I survived my apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Um. This the is the apprenticeship with the with the freight forwarding company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Freight forwarding company, and there were parts of my apprenticeship they couldn't do in noise, and they said, "Would you like?" It was actually um, a Dutch-based company, right? And uh, then they said, um, "You know, would you be interested to learn what you need to learn to finish your apprenticeship and going to New York?" Can you imagine? Well, well, how long did you have to think about it? Two seconds. (laughs) And this was, I was not even 18. So, but it was with the company and they sent me over to New York. Before I went to New York, so I had around a month uh, before I went to my apprenticeship, I was cleaning cinema before work. So I get some money. Yeah, like a a, uh, a part-time job. Part-time job, yeah. And at the weekend, 
um, uh, I did a bit of waitressing. So I mm -hmm. had some money because I wanted to see a little bit of America after my months in New York. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, I didn't have much money. My parents didn't have much money either to, to help me out. And they were not happy that I was traveling on my own. But then I went on Greyhound buses while in America. So I took the night bus so I didn't have to pay for accommodation. Yeah. And I made it all the way to Mickey Mouse, to Florida, to Disney World. Well, from New York. Yep. Yep. Wow. On, on Greyhound buses at night. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so when, that, when, when was this? Uh, this oh. was probably three months before I turned 18. Okay. Oh, or oh, you oh. mean as in? <clears throat> what, yeah, what year? Um, well, then everyone knows how old I am. Well, you shouldn't have told them that you were 18 at the time. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, Just roughly. Seven, yeah, 70, 75. Okay. And how did, yeah. how did you get to New York? By plane? Or did you have to get a – yeah, they had planes in 1975. Yeah, yeah. That, <clears throat> sorry. Yes, they had planes already, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like flying in 1975? Oh, not much change to flying now, I would say. Really? Uh, the, the, only, the only change I, I really remember clearly, everyone was allowed to smoke on the plane. Yeah. And there was a very small section, normally at the back of the plane, where the non-smokers were. <laughs> And it's it's really hard to to grasp that now, but yeah. yeah, that was it. Yeah, and you would take lots of books because there was no screen where you could watch movies. I imagine you had amazing books. leg room. I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm just going to keep imagine imagining that the leg room was fantastic in 1975. Yeah, for me, leg room is always fantastic because I'm pretty short. That's so true. I never That's true. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. So, so I came back from New York and mm -hmm. then two months later I finished my apprenticeship. Yeah. Where did you where did you stay in New York? Did you have like a like a hostel or would how how did you Oh, it work? was a yeah. It was a very small, like a motel in New mm -hmm. York, I would say. You know, very basic. And um, um, I had school English, and when I arrived in New York, I couldn't understand a word. Nothing. It was well. It had nothing in common with the English I learned at school, which was pretty basic. And then also. The American English was different to the British English, which we had at school. Yeah. So that was quite a, a challenge. But I had really friendly colleagues and, um, yeah, they helped a lot. I mean, that's what comes out with, with all this traveling in the world is that people are basically quite nice. Most people are really nice. That's so true. So I encountered, yeah. I encountered this in, in New York. People were really nice. So as in where you were, where I was staying was pretty much downtown New York. Mm. And um, I just walked to work. Um, sometimes um, some of my colleagues would show me around um, going to the sites. Um, yeah. yeah. It must have been very overwhelming. Oh, it was. Just imagine yeah. you come I mean, from Noise and then New York. Yeah, I, I went to New York uh, a few years ago now, um, and it was overwhelming, like even for someone who's who's travelled quite a bit. It's just a crazy place, isn't it? Yeah, and it was a crazy place. I've only been once again to New York. Yeah. But uh, at the time, it was just – it was a different planet. Yeah. 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 Okay, and then how long? How long did you did you travel after the the month of finishing the apprenticeship? How long did it take you to get to Florida? Oh, it was probably probably about three weeks. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, probably around three weeks. Yeah. So Florida and then all the other stops in between, you know, again, in a different country and a different language. But um, yeah, I managed. I managed. It was good. Made a lot of contacts and, and had a lot of contacts with other travelers, especially mm. on the buses. Okay, I was I was just about to ask how do you how did you meet like other travelers just on the bus of course yeah on buses in, in, in the hostels and stuff yeah 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 so I guess it hasn't right. changed much no 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 it was was very similar the yeah. only difference to today and I really I'm really sorry that we didn't have the technology which we have today. If you want to connect with someone, you say, hey, here's my number, or are you on Facebook, or things mm. like this. And I, yeah, I just lost lost the contacts of so many wonderful people I met met before before the technology we have today. Well, because maybe, I, I never mm, stayed long in a place. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe one of our listeners, uh, if you were traveling from New York to mm. Florida in 1975, um, and you remember meeting a, a German girl on the bus, um, write to us, uh, info at Lovely Travels, um, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll put you in touch. Fantastic. That's what I need. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was When I came back from New York, I had another two months, and then I finished my apprenticeship. You had mm -hmm. to do a test in front of the Chamber of Commerce. And I passed it with flying colors. Good. Yeah, yeah that was really good. <laughs> good. And it was a very male-orientated business. Freight forwarding. Uh, in, yeah, shipping and freight forwarding. Sure. So I almost didn't make it because my boss once said, Miss Kreling, Kreling was my maiden name, Miss mm -hmm. Kreling, you will never make it because you can't drink alcohol as much as the men. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> this was at a time where every day four o'clock a bottle came onto the table or you had to yeah. go out with clients and they were totally wiped off their face and um, and feet yeah and i couldn't really drink that much but uh yeah i practice a bit <laughs> <laughs> so one week after i turned 18 and as i said i finished my apprenticeship already a colleague of mine saw me going through the hallways and said, Miss Kreling, guess what? <laughs> Company offered me to go to Iran and to be the managing director in the Tehran office. What do you think? I looked at him and said, Mr. Rudkutter, this is amazing. Can I come with you? And he said, I can't just take you with me. I mean, if we would be married, that would be a different thing. But I can't just take you with me. I said, okay, marry me then. Big deal. You signed something. I signed something. Just looked at me again with big eyes and he says, you're crazy. I'm like, okay, all right. That was on a Friday afternoon. On Monday morning, he came into the office and he said, Miss Kreling, I thought about it. I marry you. <laughs> I said, great. What do we need? And he said, oh, you need your birth certificate, and then we have to apply to get married. So I knew exactly where everything was in my parents' house, and I grabbed my birth certificate on Wednesday. We registered to get married. And then in the afternoon, I rang my mom and said, hey, mom, can I bring someone for dinner on Friday evening? And she said, yeah, sure. Who is it? I said, my colleague, Mr. Rothkutter. Okay, great. So on Thursday, I went into his office and I said, I'm going ice skating, Mr. Rotkutter. Would you like to join me so we can get to know each other? And he said, yeah, okay. So he arrived on the ice rink and uh, introduced him to my friends. This is Mr. Rotkutter. We're going to Iran together. And he said, I think it's about time we call each other by our first name. So <laughs> we did this. After you were married. <laughs> No, no, after we oh. applied to get married. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. So maybe maybe if I can just put a little bit of, of context to that anecdote. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in Germany, you have the different um, 
you know, you have a polite and a and a or a formal and an informal way of addressing someone. Um and and it's not so much a thing these days, although it's still quite a big, big part of the culture, is you know, your elder or your superior or something would have to offer the the informal uh you know, to, to be on informal terms with each other is like a, quite a big step in, in a German relationship, or at least it used to be. Um, so deciding to get married and then offering someone the informal, <laughs> like to call each other by your first name was, is, is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was funny. It was so, so German, you know, yeah, so it's super German. Yeah, super German. <laughs> And honestly, you know, he was a really good looking man, but I thought, I always thought he was a bit of a nerd. (laughs) But he was 27 at the time. And yeah, they offered him the position as a managing director. So he was really good in his job and, and, you know, not, yeah. And I was more playful at the time. So, yeah. Um, Sorry. And and you were at the ice rink and you, and he offered you, offered to, to call each other by your first names. That's right. And to seal this procedure, to call each other by your first name, you also have a drink together. And while we were having a drink together, I asked him whether he could ask my parents for my hand in marriage. I had this romantic motion. He said, yeah, but, you know, it's not this kind of marriage. I said, no, it doesn't matter. Please, can you do this? (laughs) Okay. So he arrived on Friday night with flowers in his hands. My, My mother was very pleased to see him. He was very well dressed and flowers. We had dinner. And then after dinner, he looked at my father and he says, Mr. Kreling, uh, I don't really want you to do it this way, but your daughter asked me to do it in this way, which I'm now doing. I would like to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. My father just looked at me with big eyes, his, his eyes stared onto my belly and he said why (laughs) i said no no dad no i'm not pregnant i'm going to iran (laughs) 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 well well he didn't was he relieved no he didn't believe me he said this is nonsense i'm sure he didn't really know where iran was yeah but it sounded far away, and he thought it's just one of those other excuses. My daughter makes up all these stories. Anyway, they did not talk to me for three months. But I was did, living so what, with them, and they just ignored me. What was the What was the answer? He didn't. Mr. Rootcutter didn't get an answer. No, no, he didn't. Oh. He didn't get an answer. My father was upset about all my lying, <laughs> and I <Yeah>. didn't. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so. So it was probably, um, we, we got married end of November. And by then, probably three weeks before my parents softened, they could see that my belly was not growing because I wasn't pregnant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they said, oh, okay. So, so they believed it halfway that, you know, that that was the reason why we got married. It was very unusual, I must say. Hmm. So, yeah, so we got married end of November. My parents even offered their house to have a little party in the party mm-hmm. cellar. And Bernd, his name was Bernard. He left beginning of December and went to Iran and he was looking for a place for us to stay. And uh, in the meantime, since I know that I'm going to Iran, uh, I, was looking for, I was looking for a job. And I found a job with the competition with another freight forwarding and shipping company. Yeah. And then three months later, I followed, I followed Bernard. um, Six months later, I followed Bernard to Tehran. Okay. So you didn't actually go there together uh, from the start. No, we didn't. He, he needed to, to settle and, you know, see how everything is, found a place. Yeah, yeah, it took me another six months. So how was hard good. was it? How hard was it finding a job, like in 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 Tehran? Um, like, how, Actually, how would you? It, yeah, yeah. How would you go about <laughs> looking for a job back in the day like that? 
Yeah, it wasn't actually that difficult because every week we would get an industry newspaper. Mm-hmm. And in this industry newspaper, they were job advertised. Hmm. And this is how I found the job. They needed a person who were doing who was doing personal effects and uh, removal organizing paper in Tehran and uh, also an export manager. So I just right. applied and I got the job. <laughs> and um, I guess... I mean, I'm I'm sure a job like that exists nowadays as well, but it, it seems quite specific. Like, was there, um, like, wh- why Tehran? Or were they looking for people like that in every country? Like, it I just seems so strange that a, that a German company, or was it a German company? Yeah, it was a German company based in Bremen. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't so unusual mm-hmm. because at the time, the Shah was the Shah was ruling Iran and he wanted to have the connection to the West. Right. He wanted to get out of this Middle Eastern bubble, so to speak, and yeah. wanted to open more to the West. Okay. So so yeah. So it was a, a growing industry, so mm. to speak. Mm. Okay, so you arrived in Tehran six months after your husband. Yes. And and okay, go. What what was it like arriving in Iran? <laughs> okay, I was because I still had six months to go. Yeah. Uh, I I started to learn the language, and um, of course it's, it's Farsi, mm-hmm. very different to German. I can tell sure. you. Yeah. <laughs> I did an immersion Farsi learning course. How do you call that? Course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. From the moment go, you're immersed in the new language. Yeah. And they advise you not to listen to anything else for the time you're in this immersion program. Right. So I had to take had to take some time off work and I was just listening to music in Farsi. When I came home, I would not listen to anything German, you know, just mm. block it out and mm-hmm. merge into the language, which was mm-hmm. really great. Yeah, so I arrived in Tehran um, and everything was different. Around four days later, after I arrived, I had to go to the office for the first time mm-hmm. and I was not able to cross the road because they didn't have any traffic lights at the time. And the roads from, I was actually walking to the office and there was a six lane road, three lanes, this direction, three lanes, the other one. And I had no idea how I could, how I could cross the road. No idea. So (laughs) I, so so I, I rang them in the office which was only five minutes walk away. And I said, look, I'm at this and this corner and I don't know how to get to the office. I don't <laughs> dare to cross the road. <laughs> so, so they sent someone over to pick me up. So what you have to do, you yeah. just start walking. Right. You don't change your pace. You just start walking and everyone is driving around you or when they see you, they go slower and you just have to trust. Right. Yeah, that was scary. <laughs> <laughs> Germans would be waiting for hours for a traffic light to change colour. Yeah. Nah, they probably have traffic lights now, I, I assume. But yeah. at the time, and especially at this corner, there was no traffic light. <laughs> so, so, but I learned. Yeah, it was just, okay, trust. Don't run. Because then you're dead meat. You just yeah. go slowly and the, the traffic will adjust to you. Yeah. Mm. And also, if you needed a taxi, you just raise your hands and they ask you which direction you want to go. Mm-hmm. And then if this is the direction this taxi will go, they take you. And there might be three or four other people in the taxi, which is also oh. interesting to get to know people. Yeah, And then he would say, okay, you're going there and there, and those people go 
leave the taxi 10 minutes earlier mm. and and we have to do a little detour but we will come to your place soon <laughs> so yeah wow. while while using taxi you could also meet other people which was great mm. Mm. and um i i guess it was a it was a very different um country to what it is now as well well i'm sure there's similarities but uh, a lot has changed in in tehran or in iran since then right yeah i've only been back once and that was probably two years after i left mm. when when khomeini was in power mm. um, and it was much stricter than under the shah who wanted to westernize iran yeah and um um, yeah, I just had to go there for one meeting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so I can't really comment on what okay. Iran looks like today. Yeah. Um, okay, and but, but but tell me tell me some more about working in Iran. What what were you or working in Tehran? What were you? What what was your average day like? My average day. Yeah. So <clears throat> arriving at the office. Um, of course, our weeks were different. Uh, on Thursday lunchtime, it's equivalent to Friday. Friday here, so so Thursday was off, and Fridays, and then you start working on Saturday and Sunday. Oh, and what really? Continue with the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's bizarre. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just Muslim holidays. Right. Muslim weekend. Yeah, which starts on Thursday lunchtime until friday night huh hmm. yeah but that's just a, a shift you, in uh, yeah you get used yeah. to that pretty quick i imagine yeah you get used to it yeah of course yeah so um, um my my direct colleague he was from england mm -hmm. and i also had um and mainly iranian people working in the office uh, my boss was german mm -hmm. and he never liked traveling so I always was prepared. I had all the vaccinations you could have under the sun. Right. And I also had every visa in my passport, which I thought I might need if I need okay. to go to another country. So I was prepared. <laughs> all the so, countries around, around Iran. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever something came up, let's say you had to do a customs clearance and they say, mm. okay. Wilma, can you go to the border of Russia and do this customs clearance? And so I would take the train or, you know, sometimes I would rent a car. Yeah. Um, it was different life outside Tehran when you go to the countryside because, as I said, the Shah wanted to westernize the country. Yeah. So the women wearing a shador, which is like a full cover. Mm-hmm. Um, the police would come and rip it off them. Well, they wanted to westernize the country. But then, if you go countryside, and I was always well prepared with long sleeve shirts and and pants or long skirts, mm. and you know, but not a headscarf. But then people would, women would attack me and and say, wear headscarf, wear shador. So you had to adjust when you're traveling outside Tehran. You had to be wearing a shadow yeah right. to wear a shadow mm. so not only this this everything was different i think one of the biggest shocks i got when like when i'm going to the office in the morning i would go past butcher shops and you see right. also people with with sheep going through the streets and they would stop at the butcher and the butcher said yeah i have those two and then they would slaughter them straight away in the street right and I fainted quite a lot oh, no. <laughs> just <laughs> because it was sometimes it was so unexpected. Yeah. You know, someone would put a knife into a poor sheep's throat and Jesus. blood would splat out and I would go, yeah, <laughs> gone. <laughs> wow. So, so Mrs. Rutkotter, why are you late today? Oh, I just fainted. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. Get used to it. Get used to it. <laughs> Yeah, and right. uh, weekends or Thursday and Fridays, my weekends, mm. I would hang out mainly in bazaars. I found right. that interesting to see all the different products, and and so I looked at them. Especially, I love the Persian carpets. 
And mm-hmm. I learned quite a lot about Persian carpets. And if you liked a carpet, you could take it home. They would mm-hmm. deliver it to your home and you test it for two, three weeks, whether you like it. If not, they pick it up again, bring you a new one. <laughs> so I had really intimate connections with carpets, right. which helped a lot because I bought carpets. I uh, had like three or four in my house, but the biggest one uh, was at one stage, I met a pilot from Swiss Air mm-hmm. and he said, you know, we can make good business with this because I can take carpets to Switzerland, but I don't have the knowledge. Can you right. help me with this? I take yeah. it to Switzerland, then we throw some parties and then we sell carpets. Carpet parties. So that was carpet parties, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite amazing. So I made a little bit of money with this. Oh, a little bit import-export, putting the apprenticeship to good use. Yep, yep. And also because, as I said, my boss didn't like traveling and I love traveling, so he asked me whether I would like to write a handbook about Iranian ports. Mm-hmm. So, so. I traveled to the ports and checked out how many cranes I had and, you know, all the facilities at the ports. So it was a handbook for for freight forwarders, for shipping and freight forwarders in the world. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Twice published author. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I okay. I never really thought much about it, but you know, if I look back, yeah, it was quite an achievement. Yeah, and for also, sure. as a woman in Iran, that wasn't easy most of the times. No, because if I would go and see clients, you normally go out and take them out for lunch or for dinner, and you know, it would be nice and chatty and talk. And I was eighteen, nineteen. And then they would say at the end, and I thought, wow, I did a really good business talk here. They would say, okay, that was really nice. So next time you send your boss, will you? Yeah. And I, yeah, that made me angry. Yeah. But, yeah. Especially if, if the clients were uh, people from the Middle East. Sure. So they had a different idea about the role of a woman. Mm. You know, you go out and, you know do some small talk and when I started business talk they would say no no send your boss we talk to your boss let's yeah, enjoy must, dinner <laughs> must have been frustrating mm, yeah for sure for sure huh. in an already male orientated business yes yes yeah. it was quite hard but I thought okay if I can make it in this surrounding I can make it anywhere and I and I got quite a re- reputation because not many women volunteered to go to the Middle East. Yeah. <laughs> so people knew me, and that also helped me with other jobs in the future. Yeah, what a what a great life life changing experience, and a great character building as well. Yeah, you know, after living in the Middle East as a young woman, if someone would say oh, this is so hard. The bus is late, 15 minutes. Oh, my Mm. God, we have a problem. I thought, nah, we don't have a problem. You don't know what problems look like. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If you haven't seen a sheep being slaughtered before your morning coffee, uh, there's there's no problem. (laughs) There's no problem. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so, and also um, being on your own, I mean, my husband was, of course, not really my husband. Yeah. Um, he had a girlfriend and, you know, but we would live together mm. and we would play cards and, you know, have a bottle of vodka, play cards, eat caviar and stuff like this. <laughs> so. Sure. All the, all, the, all the perks of being in the import-export business. Yeah, it was really interesting because sometimes – you have cravings and you think, oh, if I could only have a piece of cheese yeah, or some sauerkraut or things like this. So yeah. I had a really good connection to the truck drivers right? because um, I was the, the 
German contact person for them. And whenever I had some cravings, they would bring it, bring it over to Iran. And then I would gather some other Germans and we would eat the German goodies. <laughs> <laughs> One of my jobs was uh, going to the south of Iran, to the yeah. Persian Gulf, going yeah. to the Persian Gulf, and had to do a customs clearance. So I hired a car in Tehran and drove all the way down to the Persian Gulf. And then when I finished my job, I was on my way back home. Yeah. So... Just countryside, you can imagine, through the desert. And then I had a Kolbenfresser, which I don't uh, know the word in English for. So, the, so uh, yeah, what? yeah, the, the um, um, it's when the, 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 the piston, uh, they get stuck. Yeah. And the, the car is not working anymore. Hmm. So just with, with the last moment, <clears throat> because it happens quite, quite rapid, quite instantly. Yeah. So I could just manage to maneuver the car onto the side. It was middle of the desert. And I had no idea about cars. Um, and I opened the bonnet and, you know, some foam comes, uh, some smoke coming out. Mm. And um, then... After a while, people stopped and they said, can we help? Looked at the engines and I said, no, we can't help. Mm. Again, you had no mobile phones or anything. Sure. The only, the only thing they helped with or the only thing they could help was say, do you have enough water? So mm. they left me water. Do you have something to eat? Some people would leave a few carrots. Some people would leave a piece of bread for me. Mm. And water was very important. So that happened around 11 o'clock in the morning, mm. and then it turned dark. And suddenly, three motocross motorbikes surrounded me. Right. And I thought, okay, that's it. I'm dead. So the guys came over and talked to each other and said, okay, look, let's get your car to the next town, and we take you and then you can sort it out tomorrow. Mm. Thank God I learned Farsi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, you know, on a motorbike, I was on a motocross motorbike. You don't really have a passenger seat. Right. So I was squeezed onto my driver and he was, he had some loudspeakers and music going and he always looked around. Are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. That was horrible. So <laughs> after after an hour or so, we arrived at the police station, and um, and we left the car there. So he said, "Oh, so the car is safe here." Then they found accommodation for me, and yeah, you know, just a really basic place. And I remember lying in bed and seeing rats walking past. Oh, no. So anyway, I fell asleep. The next yeah. morning, I rang, I rang the company in Tehran and I said, look, your car is not working anymore. What do you want me to do? Is insurance? And he says, oh, just put it on a truck and send it over to me. Okay. <laughs> so they, they got the truck organized. I organized the transport. And then I get, got onto a train. And on this train, I met a young couple. And they told me their story. She was really big, 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 big pregnant. And they told me the story that her parents didn't want the connection with, with her boyfriend. And then they didn't even tell them that she was pregnant. And then they started traveling in the Middle East. And they mm. were on their way to Tehran. Well, with my luck, she gave birth on the train. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and her partner and I we helped to deliver the baby. Wow! It's yeah. Um, and then I took them to my place in Tehran, where they stayed for three months with the baby. Really? And all yeah. And also with those guys, I don't have any more contact. I don't know their names, addresses anymore. 
Oh, no. Yeah. But I never forget that experience, as you can imagine. Yeah. Mm. Then the other story, which is a Middle oh. Eastern story. <laughs> that was just one story. It felt like three or four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other, the other story was that um, I didn't didn't have a proper work permit. So mm. every month I had to cross the border, a uh, border. Mm. And then I came back for three months as a visitor. Right. And until my my proper work permit uh, was delivered. Mm. So the third time I crossed the border to Turkey, that was just before Christmas, mm -hmm. the Turkish border control said, what are you smuggling? And I said, I'm not smuggling anything. And then they started to take my car apart. And thank God there was a truck driver from Austria and he looked over and he says, are you in trouble? And I said, yes, my name is Wilma Rutkötter. Go to the German embassy mm. and help me. And this was good because I was thrown in prison for five days. Jesus and Christ. Because it was because it was Christmas, they didn't really rush to get me. So after Christmas, I was released from Turkish prison. So, wow! Merry Christmas, <laughs> Mr. Lawrence. Yes. <laughs> mm. Wow! Great, yes, so <laughs> great stories, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, but. Uh, I had so what, what was experiences? Yeah. What yeah. was better, the the or what was worse, the Turkish prison or the rats? Or did you have rats oh. in Turkish prison? <laughs> uh, the, the rats were okay. Let's put it this way. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Yep. No, it was quite was quite traumatic. Yeah. And okay. not knowing whether someone will get you or not. How old and were you in Turkish prison? Um, almost 20. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think we need to say much more to that. Mm. No, but I'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you the stories because, um, I've, I've seen so many faces of humans, but if I would have a list, just imagine an A4 paper. Mm. The list of bad things or bad experiences I had in, in my life, they're probably worth five lines. Right. But the good experience, one page would not be enough. So mm. many people were looking after me, taking me mm. into their houses, into their homes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so forget about the bad experiences and just yeah. focus on the good experiences. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For and sure. now you also understand why, and you experience this quite a lot, that I opened my doors to people, to backpackers mm. and to, yeah, it was something which I experienced and I just like to pass it on. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Mum, we're going to, mm -hmm. we're going to, pause the recording here because um i think because we, we're only like not even halfway through and i think we'll turn this into a two-part episode so um for everyone listening um thank you for listening so far um and stay tuned for next week where we will continue the adventures of uh wilma's travels um okay yeah Okay, sounds good. <clears throat> but one very important thing about Iran I still have to tell you. Yeah. I fell in love with the name Darius. Darius. Yeah. And this was in Iran, and I thought if I ever have a child, if I ever have a boy, he will be called Darius. <laughs> so here you go. <laughs> Lucky me. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm like the best souvenir you could have brought back. <laughs> yeah, the name I brought back. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Thanks. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll, um, yeah, tune in next week for part two of Travels with Wilma. 
thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Um, already looking forward to the next one. Uh, we also have a rather extensive back catalogue for you to check out. Um, but in the meantime, you can uh, follow us on Instagram. That's at Lovely Travels on Instagram. Or you can come and check us out on Facebook, Lovely Travels. That's L-O-V-E-L-L-Y. Or we would love for you to join our Facebook community uh, with more than 500 members talking all things travel and adventure. That's the Lovely Travels community. You can also visit our website, which is lovelytravels.com. Or shoot us an email. We love hearing from our listeners. So please send us an email, feedback, comments, questions, whatever. Info at lovelytravels.com. And you can listen, review, subscribe, like, share, and promote our podcast in any shape, way, or form. Uh, We are on Spotify, iTunes, the internet, uh, Google Podcasts, everywhere where you get podcasts, you will find us. All good podcasting locations. So tune in next time, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you then. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is Wilma. I'm Hi, Wilma. born in... <laughs> Why are you doing the introduction now? <laughs>